Hey guys, how you doing? This is weird. Uh, I've tried all week to come up with ways to make this feel more comfortable for myself, uh, and I failed miserably. But one of the things that I kept thinking about this week, as I imagine sitting here in this room by myself, well, I'm not by myself. Jordan's over there uh, behind the camera. One of the things that that I kept thinking about, and honestly that I'm thinking about right now, is imagining myself on the stage, right, at the high school in our auditorium, and if I close my eyes and I think about standing in that spot with my stand in front of me on the stage, and I can look out on the crowd, and I see uh, Garrett Melinda Utsi over here down to my right, and I see the Zedwicks over here up top on my right, um, I see Rebecca and Gibson Kinsey up here on my left. I see the Welter family way over here on my left. I see Martha Cathcart right dead center in the middle. Uh, I can see all of your faces in my head. And so I'm kind of doing that. And so I would invite you guys to do that as well because uh, we can kind of imagine that we're together. And like Haley said, you can touch your, touch your, touch your arms or elbow your kids or whatever and imagine that we're all here together. So we'll make the most of it. And before you know it, we'll be back together again. Uh, if you're new to us, or if you just needed a reminder, we've been walking through uh, the Bible together as a church. We've been reading through it. We're in the Minor Prophets. And uh, as we teach through the Bible, we've been teaching along the, th the, the themes as we read through together. And so the series that we're in right now is um, a series on the exile and what it means to live in exile as we read about the nation of Israel being taken from their homeland, uh, taken to another nation, taken to the nation of Babylon or the empire of Babylon and uh, forced to live and forced to enter into another culture. And so one of the things that we've been doing, the lens through which we're looking at this is the chapter in Jeremiah, chapter 29, uh, where Jeremiah is writing to the exiles and he's telling them how they should respond uh, to this idea of exile and living in a different country in a different culture. And so two of the ways that we tend to respond uh, to culture as Christians, and we've talked about these before, uh, these two words, uh, sectarianism and syncretism. Uh, sectarianism is removing yourself uh, completely and standing apart from, and syncretism means to join, basically means to join into. And so typically speaking, those are the two ways in which we as Christians argue for one or the other. But Jeremiah 29, and I, I would argue the book of Daniel, uh, challenges us and invites us uh, to maybe make a third choice, to maybe enter into culture in a way that isn't uh, syncretistic, I think I just made up a word, um, but doesn't just go with the flow, if you will, but actually um, swims upstream. I know that's a little bit of a Christian cliche, but I think it fits really well here. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the book of Daniel again today. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 2. And we're just going to walk through that story a little bit and see um, what Daniel and what uh, the Word of God has to tell us. A little bit of a background, Daniel and his friends uh, were a part of the first wave of uh, people taken from Jerusalem when Israel and the nation of Judah was conquered uh, by the empire of Babylon. And so Daniel and his friends have been taken They've lost everything. They've lost their families. They've lost their culture. They've lost everything about their lives. We talked about last week, they even uh, probably lost their manhood. There's a very high likelihood in what we read last week in chapter one that they were probably castrated. 
made into eunuchs. And so they've literally lost everything. Uh, and, and still, um, as we read through the book of Daniel, we see that, uh, that Daniel and his friends are still uh, living, um, living out what God would have them to live in a different way. Now, um, there are certain ways in which we read the book of Daniel and we're kind of disconnected because we live in America and we're not living underneath an oppressive empire. At least most of us would say that. Um, but there are still some things that I think that we can take away from this. Um, and so one of the things that I really want us to focus in on is this idea of swimming in current. If we imagine, most of us have been uh, to the Columbia River Gorge and seen the mighty Columbia River. And if you're driving along the highway uh, and looking out at the river, at times, if the wind's not blowing really hard, there are times when it seems like a lake. You don't see a lot of the current. And sometimes culture can be that way. Uh, when we're in culture at large, there doesn't sometimes seem to be a strong current. But if you've ever pulled off into a rest area or walked down to the river's edge and stared across it, all of a sudden you see how fast that water and how powerfully that water is actually moving. So that, again, is a good way of looking at our culture. The water is moving fast and it is extremely strong. And we have to recognize that. So, again, sometimes I think that we, we kind of assume that we're faced with one of two choices, thinking of those same words, right? The syncretism versus the sectarianism. We have two choices. We can either float along with the current. Uh, imagine, if you will, a lazy river. Uh, if you've ever been to a water park that has a lazy river, it's really easy to do. In fact, it's almost impossible to do anything other than get in your inner tube and float along. You always have those annoying kids that are splashing or trying to go the opposite direction. But for the most part, that's what everybody does. You just go with the current. So there's choice number one. Choice number two is to get out of the river. And so again, I think Jeremiah 29 and, and uh, the book of Daniel is inviting us into a different way of interacting with culture. And that would be to stay in the water, but to swim upstream. Now, um, I think right away we have to understand, we have to recognize and acknowledge the fact that at times that seems impossible. And so as Christians, we have to find ways to fuel that effort, to fuel our faith, if we're really going to live uh, a life that, meet, that is following Jesus. Jesus himself told us all throughout his ministry in his life here on earth that that is not an easy thing to do. He said it would be hard. And so that's a really good indicator for us. If we're claiming to be followers of Jesus, and yet our lives and in our interaction with culture, there's not much conflict or there's not much difficulty, maybe we're not following Jesus like we say we are. So something to think about as we move forward. There's always a, f there's always a cost to following Jesus. Now, in that way, Daniel's re very, very relevant uh, to the life we live today. So we have to ask ourselves, what fuels faithfulness? What fuels this idea of swimming upstream in the currents in which we live, which we work, in which we play, all of these things. So we're going to look to Daniel for some of that motivation. And uh, if you would join me, if you, if, again, if you have your Bible with you, you can take it out and open to Daniel chapter 2. And we're going to read uh, the first 13 verses, and then we'll talk about it a bit. And the scripture is going to be on the screen as well. Here we go, starting in verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. 
and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to the king to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your house shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not, if you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know you can show me its interpretation. And the Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asked is difficult. And no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was very angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Bab Babylon be destroyed. So the dec decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So it seems a little bit like the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Can't remember his dream. He's troubled by it. And he's demanding that they not only t interpret his dream for him, but actually tell him what he dreamt because he can't remember it. Otherwise, he's going to kill them. And so I want to quote uh, from Tim Mackey right now because as we move into Daniel's response to Nebuchadnezzar, there's something that for us to learn here. Tim Mackey said, In the middle of a narrative, when a biblical character bursts into song, your radar should go up. It is being used by the author as a way to get your attention. And it's going to capture the theme of what the story is about. So I want us to pay attention to what Daniel's going to say right now. Verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Then Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, 
and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and now have made known to me what we ask of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. So Daniel praises God because God revealed to him what the king dreamt, and the interpretation, I, we will assume, moving forward, was given to him as well. But we have to look at, again, that song that Daniel just sang, he's recognizing something about God and praising God for something that is extremely important for us moving forward. Daniel was given peace, right? His life's been threatened. Uh, he asked for uh, an appointment with the king. He made an appointment. Uh, to give the king his dream and his interpretation, and then he and his friends prayed that God would give them, and God answered and did. So we're going to jump forward a little bit to verse 31. Daniel said, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the feet, the image, on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the shaft of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush these. And as you saw the feet and the toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. And as you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they shall mix with one another in marriage. But they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break into pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Now we can get a little bit of a picture into why when Daniel was given the dream and its interpretation, his response was what? His response was to praise God because the fuel for Daniel's faithfulness was revealed in his response and in the dream. So we're going to back up a little bit and we're going to look at some details here. Um, 
So Nebuchadnezzar is the king of the world, right? At this time, he is ruling over the known world. And, and Daniel actually acknowledges that. But here's what I want us to understand. All the kingdoms of the world are subordinate to God. And that's the thing that Daniel was praising. He was reminded of God's sovereignty, God's might, God's power, God's sovereign control in setting up kings and tearing down kings. He saw God's control over all of these things. And so it's important for Daniel to remember that, and it's important for us to remember that as well. And as we think about this, I'm reminded of a passage in Isaiah chapter 60 uh, where it describes all the kings of the earth coming before the throne of Jesus, laying before their wealth, laying before him their wealth and their authority and their power. And so if we can imagine this, if you think back through history, we can imagine Nebuchadnezzar, we can imagine Darius who comes after him, Genghis Khan, Alexander the Great, um, all the Caesars, the Russian czars, all these people, the American presidents, all of these people that were responsible for this power and authority over the, the world as it existed, lining up to pay homage to the one true king, to Jesus. And so as Daniel reveals this, I just kept thinking about that. So, one of the things that we're, that we're confronted with this uh, as people that don't wield the amount of power, most of us don't wield the kind of power that these kings do, uh, but we can still be deceived by the power and the influence that we think that we have, right? So um, there, there was a reminder in this dream for Nebuchadnezzar. It was reminding him of who he really was and who he really wasn't. So often these ancient kings actually claimed to be deities. They claimed to be gods. And it actually, in Daniel chapter 3, we're going to see that very thing happen. Nebuchadnezzar actually builds a statue to himself and commands that the entire nation and the empire worship him as God. And so most of us don't struggle with that idea. But we still struggle with this idea that we have control over our lives. And we ex exhibit that illusion of control, and we have idols in these areas. And this week, somebody uh, in our church uh, posted on Facebook that she was um, that she was struggling with anxiety and everything that we're, we're experiencing right now, and that uh, she was uh, lying awake at night. And she described, and I, I actually texted her and asked if I could use this. She described her fear and anxiety as standing over her as she tried to sleep at night in her bed. And I just want to point something out that uh, we describe uh, these things, are the idols that we have in our lives, as um, ultimately failing us. And that's true. Our idols do fail us. But what also what I want to understand us to understand is that uh, they don't just fail us. Our idols actually turn on us. They threaten us. They stand over us. Um, they torment us. And so we have to view these things that we, um, th th these things in our lives that, that, that we claim, this control that we want to have over our lives is going to turn on us in, in some point if we don't understand who's actually in control. And so the encouragement that Daniel received in that moment uh, when he received the dream uh, and its interpretation was that he was encouraged and he was reminded that God was ultimately in control. And that that was enough. And so that's, that's incredibly powerful for us to remember. Look at uh, chapter or verse 37 ag again. He says, you, O king, the king of kings. He actually calls him the king of kings. To whom God has, 
uh, the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory. These are all ways in which Jesus is later described. That's really interesting that, that Daniel's actually willing to give uh, Nebuchadnezzar that, but he also understands that those things were all given to him by God. And into whose hand he has given, God has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Now, this is really interesting. The second part of that, uh, that passage there in verse 38, where he says that you're ruling over the men, but you're also ruling over the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, and that he's ruling over them all. We've seen this type of language before. If we go all the way back to the beginning where we started our reading in, G- in Genesis chapter 1, in verses 27 and 28, when God creates mankind, what does he say to them? He says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living living creature that moves on the ground. Now, I, I didn't go to seminary. I didn't learn Hebrew and Greek. Um, but because of the gift of technology, I have the ability to look those things up. Uh, th- the, the word used there, the term image that's used there in Genesis chapter 1, is the same word that's used here in Daniel chapter 2 to describe the image um, that Nebuchadnezzar represents. That's really interesting for us to see. right? There's a, there's a way in which we as humans are images of God. We were created that way. We are images. It's not just a role that we play. It's who we were created to be. We were created to rule over and have authority over the created world that God has given to us. We don't always rule over it in a way that Nebuchadnezzar does or the way kings do, but we represent God's authority over the created world. Now, this idea was probably more intuitive back in the day when we were farmers and we were um, struggling to exert our dominion over uh, those rocks in the field that were making it hard to plow or that, uh, that, you know, that ox that wouldn't pull the plow the way we wanted him to pull it and we were exhibiting our authority over the world in that way. Uh, in, in a lot of ways now, we don't like the term authority or rule. Um, we, t- we prefer terms like manage, um, And we get really annoyed when managers act like rulers and ultimate authorities. But we see, if we look around us, we see this idea. Um, We have a unique creative capacity in our world. And it was given to us by God to make this world a better place, to develop it. Um, The technology that we're using to talk with each other right now is an incredible way in which we are actually utilizing the created world around us to make it better. Now, so back to Daniel chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar is told of this great responsibility that he has. Um, If we look at uh, a Catholic historian by the name of Lord Acton said this, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. You've probably heard this quote before. Great men are almost always bad men. Now, we see it here with Nebuchadnezzar, don't we? Right? King wakes up, can't remember his dream, so what does he say? Tell me my dream. Tell me its interpretation, or I'm going to tear you limb from limb and burn your house down. It seems like a bit of an overreaction. So we see this all around us, right? We see it in our government. We see it everywhere. Power tends to corrupt. We see it in the church, right? Power tends to corrupt. Absolute power corrupts 
Absolutely. So Nebuchadnezzar is reminded of the responsibility he has. He's also reminded uh, that he's not the ultimate authority. He's reminded that he was given this authority, and this authority can be taken away. And ultimately, it will be taken away, and that his authority, his kingdom, will not last forever. In fact, it's going to be blown away like dust, and it won't even be remembered. That's the ultimate uh, the ultimate outcome of his rule and his power and his empire. So the encouraging part of this uh, for Daniel is that he knows who's in control. He's living in a foreign country. He's been ripped out of his country, ripped away from his family, living in a foreign land. And he's reminded that this is not going to last forever. He's given the fuel, uh, if you will, to swim upstream. He's given the fuel, to, uh, as we read in Jeremiah 29, that Jeremiah tells the exiles uh, to build houses, to join in uh, marriage, and to have children, and to seek the good of the city. And we talked for the last couple weeks about how astounding of a thing that would be for him to tell them to do. Seek the good of the city. Seek the good of the people that ripped you away from your families, that conquered you, killed your loved ones, and hauled you off into exile. Seek their good. Pray for them. Because in that way, you will receive prosperity. And so Daniel's encouraged that that all of this, while he's operating in that way and walking in that manner, this is not going to last forever. That God is going to move. And again, if we take that idea and put it onto ourselves in the culture that we're in and in the situation that we're in right now, we can draw fuel to live counterculturally. We can draw fuel from that promise that it will not remain like this forever. God is moving. God is with us. We can draw fuel from that. We can enter into this culture in a way that rejects the selfishness of hoarding toilet paper, uh, and we can seek to give where other people are taking. Right? We can sow sow love and generosity where other people uh, in the world around us is living in panic and fear. We don't need to act flippantly, right? We can see those two areas. We can go with the flow. We can run to Costco and stand in line for hours. Or we can sit in, uh, in, our, in, our, um, in our homes and say, it's really not that big a deal. Like, why is everybody freaking out? We can reject what culture is doing, or we can join with culture, or we can remain in the flow, but while swimming upstream saying, we are going to, we're not going to react in fear. We're going to react in love. We are going to enter into the situation. We're not going to remove ourselves from it. We're not going to deny that it exists. We're going to enter into it, but we're going to do so in a way that speaks to a higher authority. That our security, that our hope is not in whether or not we get sick, but we're going to love others. We're going to love others by staying away from them. That's I think probably the one of the most unique things about this situation in our history as humankind is that the way that we are loving others in this moment is to stay away from them. And that's something that's difficult for us, specifically as Christians, because we're commanded together uh, to gather. We, it's one of our main rhythms in life is to gather and to be together. Uh, so it just looks a little bit different. So I would invite you guys to think about Daniel chapter 2, to think about Jeremiah 29 as you live each day in this isolation. 
to figure out ways that we can love one another, that we can enter into one another's lives, that we can communicate that we are not going the way of fear, we are not walking the way of flippancy, we are walking in the way of love. So, almost done. What's the rock? Right? So we have this image in, Je- in, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and then there's a rock that says it's not cut by human hands. That's a key for us, right? Not cut by human hands. So we just see this rock that's destroying all the nations of the world. And then it itself breaks into pieces and becomes a huge mountain. Now, the book of Daniel was actually really important to Jesus. When Jesus was on earth, he actually talked about Daniel and quoted Daniel quite a bit. And I want us to understand how Jesus himself sees this vision. Because, spoiler alert, the rock is Jesus and the mountain is the kingdom of God. In the upper room, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And this is the night before his crucifixion. And he tells them about things that are going to happen. And most of them are pretty unpleasant. But then in John chapter 16, after he finishes telling them these things, he says this in verse 33. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, how does Jesus overcome the world? He then gets arrested, gets whipped, gets beaten to within an inch of his life, and then ultimately gets crucified on a cross. He conquers by being conquered. He destroys by letting himself be destroyed. The royal robe, the crown of thorns, a scepter was given to him. He was lifted up and exalted on a cross. He conquers by being conquered. He smashes by letting himself be smashed. And so again, this is directly applicable to us, not just in our culture, but in the the, the situation that we're in right now. There are ways in which we can sacrifice for the good of others. There are ways that we can love and enter into the culture in such a way that will challenge that culture and actually destroy the lies of that culture and communicate something greater. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 13, says this. Paul says, When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And verse 15, here's where I want us to see it. Having disarmed the powers and authorities. Okay, think of Daniel chapter 2. Think of the rock, not cut by human hands, smashing all the empires and the rulers and the kingdoms of the earth. He has disarmed the powers and the authorities. He made them a public spectacle, triumphing over them by the cross. Never do we see it more clear that Jesus is the rock. Jesus has destroyed the power of the kingdoms of this world. It's the ultimate reminder to us of who's in control. The ultimate reminder to us and all the promises of God, that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that he is here, that he created this world, that he holds this world in the palm of his hands, and each one of us as well. That there is nothing that this world can take away from this that we will not gain back tenfold because we belong to a greater kingdom and we serve 
a greater king. So, the challenge for us as we walk through this series on the exiles is we have to ask ourselves the question, two questions. Do we believe him, right? A couple of weeks ago, uh, I used uh, an illustration that we announced to our kids that we were going to go to Disneyland on spring break. It's funny thinking about that now. We were supposed to leave tonight, tomorrow morning. Anyhow, we promised, we told our kids, we booked this trip to, to, spring or to Disneyland for spring break, and I, and I shared how my daughter had made this, um, these rings of paper that counted down the days until we left. And every day she would cut a ring of paper. And um, while she was in school and all the drudgery of school, she was looking forward to something greater. She believed the promise that her dad made her. Now, I'm not God. And uh, because of powers greater than me, that promise was, I, I wasn't able to keep it. We're not going to Disneyland. That's not my fault. I'm just going to say this. We have video documentation. It's not my fault. <laughs> Disneyland closed. Um, but God is in control. And God has the power to keep his promises. And he has promised us that he will keep his promises. And so the challenge for us is to believe him at his word. Do we believe that he has the power to keep his promises and that he will keep his promises? If we do, then, then passages like this are fuel for our faithfulness as we, in a sense, attempt to swim upstream, as we attempt to walk a different path, as we attempt to follow Jesus in his way rather than following the culture in its way. So my challenge, is, my challenge for us today is to quite simply do that that we would look to his word, uh, that we would find encouragement in one another in, way, in all the ways that we actually can uh, right now, not just to get through this situation, but to communicate to the world around us that there is something better. The world around us is desperate for hope. Desperate for hope. I mean, think about the fact that most of the people in America um, have probably never missed a meal. And the fear that is gripping us right now is intense. It's really profound. And we have the power as followers of Jesus, as those that serve the ultimate king, to communicate something better to them. And so my invitation to you is to join into that. Don't separate yourselves from it. Join into it and walk in the way that Jesus would have us walk. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And God, as we look at your word, as we continue to walk through it together as a body, Lord, we praise you, that you indeed are the king over all kings, that you do give wisdom and understanding, that you rule over sickness and health. There is nothing that is taking place in this world that is not under your control. And so, Father, we pray for two things, that you would be with those that are suffering and that you would reveal your kind heart to them. And Father, we ask that you would strengthen us to walk in your way, to follow your current, and that the reminders we see in your word would strengthen us to do so. We love you, Jesus. Amen.